Is there a giant lurking behind the scenes, threatening to steal your joy? Discover how to banish fear and worry when you read Slaying the Giants in Your Life by Dr. David Jeremiah. This best-selling book is yours when you make a donation to Turning Point. For a gift of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, study guide, CD or DVD album, and more. And this month only, for just $60, you can receive this set immediately as a digital kit. Learn more and donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. Welcome to Turning Point. Like a ship dragging anchor, discouragement can slow your spiritual momentum to a crawl. That's why it's important to keep it at bay. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah continues the series, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, with a look at how Nehemiah responded to Jerusalem's despair and how you can apply the same principles. Listen as David shares, Slaying the Giant of Discouragement. And thank you so much for joining us today. We've jumped into the middle of a lot of issues that people are facing these days. In fact, I must be honest with you, uh, over the years that I've been preaching, people have often asked me if I have any of these presenting problems, and I would tell them honestly that on occasion I've uh, had to deal with discouragement. I don't think you can be a pastor in today's world and not have to face that along the way sometimes. It doesn't always go the way you wanted it to. It doesn't always work the way you planned. And people don't always agree with what you want to do. <laughs> sometimes uh, if you let yourself get down, uh, you can be discouraged. I took great uh, encouragement to find out that one of the great uh, challenges that uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon had in his life was discouragement. He would get down to the point of a depression and have to leave his church for periods of time to go and recover. I've always wondered because he always left and went to the French Riviera. I guess that would encourage you if you did that very often. But uh, we need to look at the Bible and see what it says. And today we're going to talk about slaying the giant of discouragement. I hope you will find your way uh, to the scripture that we look at in a moment in Nehemiah chapter 4. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, our resources for this month. We have a brand new edition of the book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life. I have it in my hand. It's very beautifully done. And all of these lessons that we're going to talk about in the month of February, the text of all of them is in this uh, beautiful book. And it is a book that has some substance to it because uh, there's over 200 pages in this book. And this is the text of these lessons. Uh, we're going to be talking about fear and worry and guilt and temptation and anger and resentment and doubt and procrastination and failure. <laughs> That's a pretty long list. And those are the things people are dealing with today. The Bible has something to say about all of them. And we want you to have the textbook for this series of lessons. When you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of February, ask for your copy of the book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life. There's also a study guide and a set of CDs available, which you can inquire about at our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. Once again, for a gift of any size during the month of February, you can have a copy of this book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life. You simply have to ask for it when you send your gift. Just say, here's my gift to help with the cost of radio, and please send me the book, and we'll do it with joy, knowing that there's blessing on the other end when you read it. Well, let's start. Open our hearts and our, our Bibles and our thought process to how you deal with discouragement. Maybe it's something you're dealing with today, and God will use this to lift you up. Let's begin. Let's begin. 
Today, I want to talk with you about the giant of discouragement. And if I could give you this personal word, I would tell you that of all of the giants, this one seems to visit me more than the others. I am not discouraged easily, but when I get tired and things start to pile up around me, I am subject to moments of discouragement. And I have a sense that there are some others here like that as well. Jack Canfield was driving home from work one day and he stopped to watch a local Little League game. As he sat down behind first baseline on the bench, he asked one of the boys what the score was. And the boy said, we're behind 14 to nothing. He had a big smile on his face. Really, said Canfield, he said, I have to say you don't look very discouraged. He said, discouraged? Why should we be discouraged? We haven't been up yet. (laughs) According to the dictionary, the word discouragement means to deprive of courage, to deter, to dishearten, to hinder. Actually, the word discouragement only appears once in the New Testament, but there are some other words which are translated in some of the more modern translations by the word discourage. The word that most often gets translated that is a word of discouragement is the word faint. And it's surprising how many times that appears in the letters that Paul wrote to his friends. For instance, in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul said that it's possible to be discouraged in the ministry. He said in 2 Corinthians 4.1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. There's the little word for discouraged, to lose heart or to faint. Later on in the same chapter, he reminds us that we must not get discouraged about the perishing of the outward man. He talks about the fact that it's possible for us to look at our bodies as they begin to deteriorate and get discouraged. How many of you know what that's all about? You look in the mirror in the morning and you say, oh no, do I have to go out in the world like this? Here's what it says in the book of 2 Corinthians. Therefore, do not lose heart, do not get discouraged, though your outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now that's a good thought, isn't it? When you have a tendency to be discouraged because of the deterioration of the outward man, focus on the growth of the inward man. In the Ephesian letter, Paul reminds us that we can get discouraged by the things that happen to those that we love. How many of you have ever had someone that you're so close to and they're going through some difficult things and the very problems they experience cause discouragement for you? Paul mentions this in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. In other words, don't get discouraged about what I'm discouraged about. Here's one that we can all identify with. The Lord Jesus said this in Luke 18, 1. He said, men ought always to pray and not to get discouraged, not to faint. How many of you know that sometimes when you're trying to carry on a relationship with the Lord and you're really committed to prayer, if you're not careful, things can happen that discourage you. Prayer is probably at the very center of spiritual warfare for most of us, and it's easy to be discouraged. And the Lord Jesus says, when you pray, don't get discouraged because it's easy to get discouraged when you pray. So today, as we learn about discouragement, I want you to remember again that this is not a term that's foreign to the Bible. It's a term that you find in the scripture. Sometimes if you feel discouraged, you may think, well, I'm not very spiritual. Well, 
I don't know about that. I just know that discouragement is an issue that's addressed in the scripture. And once again, I want us to turn to the Old Testament for our story to illustrate the principles of discouragement and how we deal with it. This particular situation, we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to focus in particularly on the fourth chapter. Let me set the stage for this story and get you up to speed as quickly as possible. This was a very unique period in Jewish history. Almost 70 years before, the Babylonians had invaded Jerusalem, and they had not only destroyed the city, they destroyed the temple. And they had carried away captives to Babylon. And those captives had for seven decades been away from their homeland. During the end of the period of captivity, the Persians were in control and Cyrus the Persian gave these Jewish exiles permission to go back to their homeland and to reconstitute it and begin to build it again. First of all, under Zerubbabel, there were some who went back to begin the building of the temple. And then later on, there were two prominent men whose names are found in the Old Testament who went back to Jerusalem. One of them was a priest by the name of Ezra, and the other was an administrator by the name of Nehemiah. In fact, in the early days of the collection of the Old Testament scriptures, Ezra and Nehemiah were just one book. It wasn't until later that they were separated out into two different books. Ezra was the priest who came back to renew the hearts of the people. And Nehemiah came back to restore the walls of the city so that they could live in safety with their neighbors. As we come to the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, this administrative leader has galvanized the troops in Israel and they have begun this immense building program to rebuild the walls around the whole city of Jerusalem. In fact, this project is now halfway done. You can well imagine that when the walls started to go up around Jerusalem, the neighbors of the Israelites weren't very excited. They rather liked having Jerusalem lying in rubbles with the stones burnt in the ground. Here came this nation that had all of the folklore in their minds about the power of God, and they were coming right back into their midst, building up the walls of their city. So from every side of this project, there was all kinds of resistance and discouragement. There was Sanballat and Tobiah and the Ammonites and all of the people who decided, you're not going to build these walls, not while we're here. They did everything they could to shut down this project through discouragement and subterfuge and manipulation. But by the power of Almighty God, Nehemiah had led them now. The walls are halfway up. And when we get to the fourth chapter of the book of Nehemiah, we're halfway through the project. Now, already you know, when you're halfway through, that's when you're in jeopardy. <laughs> that's when you're in the most serious trouble. How many of you know halfway is not a good place? A little bit before halfway and a little bit after halfway, but halfway is not a good place. And the Bible tells us that these walls were about halfway built. And so things began to happen. The people began to get discouraged. And Nehemiah had to deal with the problem of discouragement in his day. In fact, it's interesting to me that the same principles of discouragement that are observable in Nehemiah chapter 4 are the principles we deal with in our day and age as well. I have experienced these, and I'm sure by the time we're finished, you will all say, yes, I've been there too. I've done that too. The first thing we notice as we have our Bibles open to the fourth chapter of Nehemiah is that there was a problem of fatigue. It says in the 10th verse of the fourth chapter at the beginning of the verse, Then Judah said, 
The strength of the laborers is failing. They had been working at this for many days. In fact, the building of the walls took a total of 52 days. If they're halfway through, they've been working steadily now for a month trying to restore the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And the people are tired. Somebody said that fatigue makes cowards of us all. And I can identify with that. How many times have you discovered how much more vulnerable you are to discouragement when you are really, really tired? You have worked late. You have been working on the weekends or other things have happened in your family or in your neighborhood. And you have just been under the gun for such a long period of time. And all of a sudden you discover that in moments like that, you are really susceptible to the enemy's attack. That's what was going on in Jerusalem. Through fatigue, they had become discouraged. I've had to learn as I've gotten older that I can't push myself nearly as hard as I used to. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Amen. And whenever I try, I realize that it's not paying any dividends. We have to learn how to pace, and I'm not certainly one to give anybody a lecture on that because I'm your classic type A person, and I've been that way and probably not going to change, but I have learned that I am not productive when I go too long, too hard, and it's time to take two or three days and back away. And I try to build that into my schedule now so that I don't subject myself to the discouragement that can come in times of fatigue. If you keep reading in the story, you'll discover the second reason for discouragement, and that's frustration. Something was happening here that was causing great frustration among the people of God. They were working diligently, but they were fighting a war that wasn't very exciting. It says here in the 10th verse of the 4th chapter and the end of the verse that one of the things that caused them to be tired was that there was so much rubbish that they were not able to build the wall. Now the reason for this was when the walls were burned down and torn down, all of the stones were told as we read history were burned and there were just big piles of rubbish everywhere. Before they could build the new walls, they had to clear out the rubbish of the old walls, find the foundations in the wall of the city. And you know, it's kind of fun building new walls, but it's not fun cleaning up old ones, is it? It's fun seeing the house go up, but it's not fun going in and tearing out around the old foundation if you're tearing down an old house to build a new one. And so what happened was this, every day they would work hard and they would come back the next day and it seemed like nothing was there to show for their work. All they had done is gotten some more rubbish out of the way. And every time they tried to build, there was this massive task of cleaning out the rubbish. And they got frustrated. There's a lot of talk these days about burnout. I don't know if you read the journals or hear about it. And I have people ask about burnout. Somebody said there's three ways to live. You can live out, you can wear out, or you can burn out. I'm hoping to live out. And I'm sure most of you agree that's the best way to go. But burnout is often misunderstood. I see some people talk about burnout sometimes and it makes me smile. Burnout's not working too hard. I know people that work hard and they're energetic and they never burn out because there's always a focus in their life and they're moving forward and the goals are attainable. But burnout is working too hard. It's something you can't do. 
Something that maybe can't be done. It's pulling the whole weight up the hill by yourself and realizing that when you get to the top, you're going to get almost there and then you're going to fall back down again and have to start all over again. Burnout is a very difficult thing. And the people in Nehemiah's day were suffering from the burnout of rubbish removal. And they couldn't see anything that was going on in the rest of the project. So sometimes discouragement comes out of the frustrations that we face in life. And then if you keep reading and you read this verse again, you'll discover that they were also convinced that they were going to fail. Sometimes discouragement comes as a result of failure, or at least the sense in our minds that we're going to fail. It says right here in this verse, we are not able to build the wall. And you can see them in their little chats from day to day as they were trying to move the rubbish and they'd put up two or three blocks, and finally they just looked at each other and said, we've been doing this for a month, and look what we've got. We're not even halfway done. This isn't going to happen. We don't have the energy. And you can just hear the negative talk coming back from the people. They decided that it wasn't possible. All of us in our lives, if we live long enough, will experience some failure. In fact, that's one of the giants we face, and we're going to talk about that before we're finished with this series. Failure is part of being a human being. We all fail. What we do with it's the difference. And sometimes if we're not careful during times when things aren't going the way we would like them to go, the enemy sneaks in with his little innuendos. And before we know it, we're beginning to believe the lie. Sometimes out of fatigue and sometimes out of frustration, sometimes out of failure. And there's one last one, maybe the most powerful one of all, and that is fear. It says in verse 11 of Nehemiah chapter 4 that while they were trying to build this project, the adversaries came and they said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. In the next verse it says, they told us 10 times. So get what's going on, this little guerrilla warfare that's happening in all the piles of rubbish around the wall. The enemies from the north and the south and the east and the west were filtering in among the builders and saying, you just wait. When you're not thinking, when you're not watching, when you don't know we're coming, we're going to slip in amongst you and we're going to kill you. And one by one, we're going to pick you off until there will be no builders left. And then we won't have to worry about this new city in our midst. How many of you know criticism can be very discouraging. You know, every once in a while, I get a critical letter. No, actually, I get a lot of them. (laughs) You know, from the radio and the other things we do, you can't speak as much as I speak and not have people not like what you say sometimes. And you know, it seems to me like the enemy always knows exactly when to send that letter. Have you ever noticed that? When you're already kind of struggling to keep things going and moving forward and you just about got yourself rewrited and then this letter comes along and when you get done reading that, you just look at it and you feel in your heart, if that's true, why don't I just go turn in my Bible? You know, it's time to quit. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can let criticism discourage us. Maybe you work someplace where somebody's on your case all the time. You know what? You can take that for a little while. But over a long period of time, if you don't stay focused on the things of God, it can just wear away your resolve. I read about a friend of mine, R.C. Sproul, who said that once in a while he gets some critical letters. He said, I live a public life, a public ministry. I write books and I get letters all the time and they just rake me up one side and down the other And I think people sit up nights thinking up ways to devastate me, he wrote. 
So I talked to another friend of mine who's in public ministry about it, and I asked him, do you ever get any hate mail? And he said, I get it all the time. Well, how in the world do you handle it, I asked His friend said, I write these people back and I say, dear Mr. So-and-so, I want to warn you about something dreadful. Some lunatic is sending me outrageous letters and signing your name to them. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great thought? I want to remember that one. <laughs> Sometimes it's important to recognize that discouragement can come out of the fear that people put into our lives. Well, those are four reasons why people get discouraged. And if you've been discouraged recently, if you go underneath the discouragement, you'll find one or two of those things at work. So what do we do about it? How do we deal with discouragement? Once again, the Word of God has got such a wonderful way of helping us sort this through. And I want to just take it in the priority system that's here in the Old Testament Scriptures. The first thing you do, which is normally the last thing we do, the first thing you do is cry out to God. How many of you know that most of the time, if we're not careful, we wait and do that last? We have this little phrase that goes like this. Well, I guess we're down to this. All we can do now is pray. (laughs) My goodness, why didn't you start there? Notice what happened when the attacks began to intensify upon Nehemiah's workforce. It says in verse 4 and again in verse 9 these words. Nehemiah prayed out loud. He said, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads and give them as a plunder to the land of captivity. And it says in verse 9, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. I want to tell you something. The first place to look when you get discouraged is up. And begin to ask God to help you deal with the issues. I find that when I can take time and I'm going through a time of discouragement to sit down with my computer and my journal and say, Lord, I just need to tell you there's some things that are going on in my life right now that I don't understand and they're just hard. And I just try to set them down in writing and clearly tell the Lord what's on my heart. Something happens in your spirit when you begin to do that. First of all, you get it all out in the light. Sometimes when you write it out and read it back, it wasn't quite the way you thought it was before you crystallized it in writing. But more than anything else, you begin to cry out to the Lord as Nehemiah did. That's the beginning place. If you don't think that's the right thing to do, then I challenge you to read the Psalms. Because the Psalms are filled with the journal entries of David who in the midst of difficulty and discouragement cried out to Almighty God. After you cry out to God... The next thing you need to do is to continue the work that God has given you to do. What is it that we are prone to do when we get discouraged? What do you want to do when you get discouraged? If you're in the midst of a project or something's going on in your life and and you get discouraged, what do you want to do, class? Quit. (laughs) Quit. Or I'm out of here. I'm going up to my cabin in the woods and I'm not coming down for a couple years. You know, that's the way some people think. And we stop doing the one thing that has the greatest possibility to help us get through the process. Satan knows that if he can demoralize us and neutralize us through discouragement, he can stop the work that God is doing through us. 
And what is interesting to me is that when Nehemiah was discouraged, when the discouraging words came, the scripture tells us that he continued to do what he was already doing. Yes, he had to deal with the problem, but he didn't stop building the wall. It says in verse 6, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. On a later occasion, Sanballat and Geshem tried to get Nehemiah to leave the work that he was doing on the wall. And come down to have a conference with him. And I always have loved this response. Nehemiah said in chapter 6 and verse 3. So I sent message to them saying. I am doing a great work. So that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? What was he saying? He was saying I'm going to keep on doing the work that God has called me to do. And sometimes you have to put both feet on the floor with some authority and say, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to do this because this is what God has called me to do. Amen. And I'll tell you what, more and more, the older you get, the more that is true. You have to be determined. You have to realize that no matter what's going on around you, you have a job to do. And I'll tell you what I've learned. When you do that, when you take authority over that whole situation, it does a lot to diminish the discouragement you're facing. The worst thing you can do when you're discouraged is to go sit in a corner someplace and pout and, and think about all the stuff that's going on and let the negativity just rain your life. Don't do that. You have a job to do. God has called you to do it. Go do it. You don't have to necessarily always feel vibrant when you're doing it. You just have to be obedient, and God will care for it. More about discouragement tomorrow here on Turning Point. Don't forget you can get a copy of this book, and you can get it for a gift of any size. The book covers everything we're talking about. Ask for it when you send your gift today. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life. And learn to banish the giants from the promised land of your life. This popular book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue slaying the giants in your life on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca study. That's davidjeremiah.ca study.
The Chinese have a proverb that says, if two men feed a horse, it will lose weight. If two men keep a boat, it will soon leak. In other words, if it's everyone's job to feed the horse, it's no one's job. And if it's everyone's job to care for the boat, it's no one's job. We can apply the same idea to Christian service or other areas of responsibility in life, which means often important things go undone. Instead, ask God to show you specifically what He has called you to do. By your faithfulness, at least that one specific task or responsibility will be done. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's calling on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.